Hola. Hey, what's going on? You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. My name is Jason Bay, but you can call me J-Bay. And this podcast is for reps and sales teams that love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate it when they go to spend a bunch of time personalizing a cold email and the prospect never responds. So if that's ever happened to you, you're in the right place. Let's get to the interview. So I did a webinar with Jeff Bajoric. He's one of my good friends. He's the guest today on the podcast. He is another sales coach, consultant, trainer, whatever you want to call us, but he's really passionate about helping sales teams. And I've gotten to know him pretty well over the, the last year or so. And one of the things that we got feedback on when we did some webinars in the past was that people really liked us jamming together. So what were we going to do, like probably once every other week or so, is jam together on a podcast. So essentially what we're doing here in the format is we kind of rant on three different topics. And I bring some topics to the table, Jeff brings some topics, and we just kind of rant for 10 minutes on that topic. And it could be anything from prospecting and what people should and shouldn't do when they send a cold email to productivity stuff. Or it might be things that we're just really fired up about around you know, people's mindsets, whether right or wrong. So that's the format. So I hope you really enjoy this. Let me know. I would love to hear from you with a quick review on iTunes, just what you think of the podcast. So I would love a short, honest review. You can do that on the iTunes player if you have it or search for Blissful Prospecting on iTunes. Scroll to the very bottom, leave a rating and review, just honest what you think. It would really help to make sure that we can continue growing the show and get on great guests. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Jeff. It's, I've been getting these freaking emails I was telling you about earlier. I'll send out a piece of content. People reply like, Jason, that's not new. And it, it just drives me insane, man. It drives me insane because I never profess that it is new. Most of the stuff that I talk about with Outbound, I'm not like, this is like not a brand new concept. I think I provide a different way of maybe looking at it or a framework around it. Do you ever get that, dude, when you're working with customers or creating content, just people are like, oh, this is nothing new. This is not novel. I don't get that, but I think that's because <laughs> I don't get the, exactly the same kind of engagement that you get. Like, and I've been someone who has kind of pounded the fundamentals and how boring the fundamentals are for a long time. But I don't know if people like me enough to tell me that this isn't new. I don't know if I get those people. Occasionally, I'll have someone tell me that I've described something in a new way before, which kind of blows my mind because, look, it's intuitive to me. What I say is what I've been thinking about. And if it came to me, I just assume that it comes to everybody that way, which I know is not the right way to do it, but I don't get that as much. But what that tells me is something very interesting about the attention span of the people we're reaching and what those people are looking for. To me, it tells me that they're looking for something new. They're not interested in something unless it's new. And that tells me that they're dodging their responsibilities of doing what they know needs to be done the way it has been proven to be done before. That's not satisfactory to them. They want something new. They want something novel. They want something different. They want something they can brag about to their friends. And you and I don't live in that space. Yeah. You and I are like, here, this is what has always worked. Let me twist it a little bit for modern times. Let me modify it so we can speak current language. Let's use email as a template instead of a phone as a template. No one carries pagers around anymore. Like, let's update it. But like, here it is. And people don't want that. That blows my mind. 
Yeah. It almost reminds me of like how people might approach losing weight. I always like to, I love using fitness and health analogies. And sure, there's been some more science that's come out and, you know, is fat good or bad for you? A lot of that stuff has been kind of back and forth, but really like in the last hundred years, you could say that, hey, if you follow the rule of like, try to consume less than you, uh, <laughs> How about you know? less, sweat more? Is that a good enough? <laughs> you know, and part of me is like, I wonder why sometimes we can't make sales that simple. Where it's like, does there always have to be a new thing? Because why not just say, like, if we boiled sales down, well, let's look at prospecting first. If we boiled prospecting down to the just very bare bones basics, it would be identify a ICP, your ideal client profile person, know who you're engaging, know the problems that you're going to help them with. Then engage them, <laughs> then send emails to them, make phone calls, maybe LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever you're using, right. and then convert, right? Once you start the conversation, somehow you need to get a meeting set, right? And along the way, you're probably going to have to handle objections. If we just boiled prospecting down to that simple framework, I don't think it's ever changed. Whether you had to deliver that message in person, whether you had to use the freaking yellow pages to find the businesses that you're getting, I don't really think that's changed. Right. It hasn't. I've got a client that I've been working with specifically and been thinking about them because they've got so many metrics that they manage within their business and different levels and different levels of employee and things like that. I'm like, hold on, two metrics, all you need. Yeah. Two metrics. If you're struggling. If you want to grow, whatever it is you want to take the next step, two metrics is all you need. New customers in and you know satisfaction scores on their way out. They do a lot with satisfaction they, that they measure that very, very highly and, and very intently. So if they're coming in more frequently and they're leaving happier on a regular basis, that's where you start. From there, how do you optimize, right? So like you said, I mean, engage with the people who you need, make sure that you've got you know some advancement through a process so that they can get to the point to where they become customers and you close the deal. It's not that difficult, but we want to come up with all, because we have all these new tools that can measure new things. There goes the novelty piece. And it's shiny object syndrome. People are begging for shiny objects. Then the plausible deniability that, oh, well, that one was actually a good one. I'll actually be able to use that one. I traded my attention for something totally invaluable so many times that I feel rewarded every time I get lucky. No, it's right there in front of you. Do the work. Do the work. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And that's why there are still people out there without a million followers on LinkedIn who aren't on Twitter, who don't have tech stacks, but who are world beaters when it comes to setting revenue records in their companies. They know what needs to be done. They do it the way they know how to do it. And that's all that matters. Yeah. I think the takeaway here, dude, is like simplify. Tim Ferriss says something along the lines of like, how would you do this if it were easy? And I think that if you look at every part of selling and prospecting and said, hey, if I couldn't use a tool to do this, if I couldn't use a sales engagement platform, if I couldn't use a CRM, if I couldn't use Zoom, right? how would I go about doing this? And if you find that you can't do it without the tool, I, th I think you're making things too complicated. Yeah, I agree. If you can't do it without the tool, there are some tools you need, right? Like email is a really good tool. I would say you need that, Yeah. right? I mean, if you're digging a hole, you need a shovel. That's a tool worth, there are so many things, but you don't need an automation platform yeah. to do this, right? I mean, because that's the thing when a lot of times I say that tech helps you scale, it doesn't help you sell. Yeah. If things are so overcomplicated that you need a tool to do it, you really have to look at what you're scaling. 
Are you scaling effectiveness or are you trying to use the tool as a band-aid for, for your lack of effectiveness? Like you got to be careful of what you're trying to increase. But yeah, there are new tools that come out that show you the new possibilities all the time. There are new frameworks that come out that, you know, this is brand new. And then, you know, Todd Capone does a great job of this. He's the sales historian, right? He'll go back and he's like, oh yeah, first time I ever read something like this was a book published in 1919. Trade this word out for email, trade this word out for Zoom, and you've got the same thing. Like, this is not crazy novel. These concepts have been around forever. And the more you run away from those concepts towards something new, the more likely it is that you're wasting time instead of just doing your job. Love it, dude. Next topic. Couldn't say it better myself, man. You've been talking a lot about <laughs> accountability versus micromanagement. Yeah. Let's dig into that. It's interesting because now with everybody working remotely, this becomes a topic you don't have micromanagers that are looking over your shoulder all the time. And there are so many bad bosses out there, right? Partially because of a lot of metrics that don't need to be measured because they're not important, Mm -hmm. but people are kind of revolting against managers, against management. And every time they they have anything nice to say about their manager, it's that they just left them alone and let them be. (laughs) I don't need anything from you. I just think I can manage myself. Don't tell me what to do or how to do it. I'll just, you just tell me what number to hit and I'll hit it, whatever. That doesn't happen very often. We both know that. So I see that the culture in most companies is switching so far away from micromanagement or they're so afraid of micromanagement that they're forgetting to hold people accountable. And I've asked this of people before and I said, so how do you define accountability? Or what, what is the difference between accountability and micromanagement? And they're like, oh, I don't think there is one. It's like, whoa, whoa. Then why do people like being held accountable? Why do people hate being micromanaged? And their heads explode. They don't quite know how to unpack that. So I can define it, but I, I want you to tell me, what do you think is the difference? Yeah. And, and what's your experience been with micromanagement versus accountability and, and the line between the two? The word autonomy comes to mind for me with micromanagement taking away a lot of the person's autonomy around their goal, how they go about doing it, et cetera. Whereas accountability implies that I am bought into this. Mm -hmm. I am bought into what we're doing. I'm bought into the target. I'm bought into the skill that I am working on building right now. So holding me accountable to me implies that I'm participating in this. Mm -hmm. It's not just some micromanagement kind of thing. I never agreed to do this thing in the first place. And now you're all over my ass about it. That's kind of what I think about with accountability and micromanagement. That's interesting because the way I think about it is similar, but in different terms. I think in accountability, I believe the manager has involvement in it. And so in the manager, instead of looking over your shoulder, asking you if you did that thing for him or for her that you didn't want to do, from an accountability standpoint, it's hey, look, we both decided that this was important. One, because we're both responsible for a revenue number. If I'm the manager, you're responsible for a portion of my revenue. I want to make sure I help you achieve that. I want to see you win. I do not want to see you fail. So I'm going to check in on you. You had some things that you said you were going to do because we agreed the terms of this agreement were this project, we were going to work on it. You were going to do these things. I probably had a couple of things to do. We're going to meet and we're going to talk about whether or not we got those things done. Just to check in, that accountability partnership there is necessary. That's why people hire trainers. That's why people hire coaches. That's why people do a lot of things, just to have an eye on it and to make sure that someone else is looking out to make sure you do this too. But the thing that makes the real difference is when the manager comes to you and says, Jason, I see you didn't get that done. What got in your way and how can I help? Do you have everything you need? Can I help you in a way that you weren't thinking about? Now, 
there's collaboration. Now there's yeah. partnership. Now that engagement increases the likelihood of success and it also increases the morale about it. It's not like, did you get your homework done? It's like, hey, I see you didn't get your homework done. Is everything okay? Yeah. And did I not explain something to you as the teacher, right? That, that could help you. There's a benefit of the doubt. It sounds like you're giving the other person when you do that. It's empathy, right? Yeah. It's realizing that, hey, a lot can happen in the last two weeks since we've met. And a lot could have gotten in the way of this project. And if it got in the way of this project, how do we make sure it doesn't get in the way again? How do we overcome it this time? Did you get an objection that you didn't know how to handle? Did you not have a piece of collateral that would help you change the conversation? Like, what is it that you need? Let's work on this together instead of, hey, get your shit done. Get your stuff done doesn't help anybody. All that does is establish the inequity in the relationship. You've managed people before. You've been on teams, certainly been managed before. I mean, you know the difference between a great boss and a terrible one. And a lot of times it comes down to this. How many bosses have you had you wanted to lay down in traffic for? One. And he's my best friend now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And did he hold you accountable? Yeah. And I, I think that accountability, I, I feel like has this like boot camp type of feel to that word. The way I always hold people accountable I don't manage as many people now, but got a couple of virtual assistants that we work with. And when I'm working with managers, actually, at other companies, it's like, you don't have to be an asshole when you bring something up. Unless you feel like someone's disrespecting themselves and disrespecting your time and not doing the things that they say, it's, hey, Jeff, we talked about doing this thing. Like, what's up, man? It clearly didn't get done. I want to give you the benefit of the doubt. I just kind of smile and kind of laugh about it. You know, it's like, what's going on? And I think that this is something I learned in therapy. I always go back to therapy with this stuff, you know? When you want feedback from people, you have to make an environment, you have to create an environment that's very welcoming for feedback. Right. So as a manager, you absolutely should want feedback from your reps. And when you go to hold people accountable, if you don't do that in a way where they feel comfortable telling you that, well, actually, there's this thing that I'm stuck on that I was too afraid to bring up because I thought you might think that I was just bringing up a bunch of excuses, but it's making my job really hard. (laughs) Something they need from IT or marketing or from another department or whatever. You know, I think creating that environment, I hate to say safe space because that phrase is used in so many different ways, but creating a safe environment for your reps to come to you and actually express frustration and things that are going on and giving them the benefit of the doubt, they aren't using that as an excuse for not getting their job done. Well, and, and look, because stuff is going to come up, this all starts from a place of we're both admitting this is important, right? And if it's important, we need to get it done. And so when it doesn't get done, it's like, hey, wait a second, you said it was important. I believed you. I trusted you and I still believe you and I still trust you, but it didn't happen. So something bigger must have come up. Whoa, what happened? Now, you know, there's opportunities here for at later meetings to have coaching sessions and really get through some stuff. But this is like face to face. Like what happened and how do we get through this together? And maybe it's just, you know what? Sorry, I dropped the ball. It won't happen again. But I'll be damned if you ever let that happen again. If you're the right kind of person, right? If you're the right person for the job, if you're the right person to be doing that thing. But I believe that because of the feelings of camaraderie that are instilled, I believe that people love being held accountable. They appreciate when they're held accountable, if they're doing the right things and they're in the right role. And the accountability drives the right kinds of activities. Because look, you know, you and I have both been this sales guy a couple of times. We certainly know a lot of salespeople who are like this. But when things aren't going well, 
what do you do? You talk about all the things that you're doing. Yeah. Oh, I got this going. And oh, they're just, you know, we're just playing phone tag now. And, you know, they're going to get back to me here pretty soon. And, you know, oh, I got a meeting coming up. This is going to be a big one in a couple of weeks. And you can filibuster a pipeline meeting <laughs> to the point where nothing even gets talked about, but you're talking about all the things that you're doing, right? Yeah. All of that activity means nothing if it doesn't drive a result. So talk about the result. And it's uncomfortable there for a little bit, but if you've got the right people having those conversations, that discomfort actually causes a change in behavior because they don't want to be there again. And they want that good outcome. They want those revenue dollars. They want the wins. If you do it right, and it's not that hard, if you do it right, it fundamentally transforms the culture of a sales organization. Yeah. One last thing I would add to that to kind of button it up is... Mm -hmm. How do you coach a rep? And if you are a rep watching or listening to this, how do you create self-accountability? I think one of the most underrated strategies, man, and it's so simple, is have an accountability buddy or accountability buddy, I've heard it called. I do this in varying different forms now. I am married to someone that I can do it with. I'm in a Slack group with you and Liston Witherell and Rashid Nathan. And we don't share goals in there necessarily, but we talk a lot about what we're working on. And sharing stuff and having even a structured meeting with another rep. It could be another sales manager. It's you helping facilitate. I do this a lot with our clients. Like, hey, each one of you should have an accountability buddy on your team, or it could be another team. It could be a friend that does sales at another company. Like where once a week you come in and you have this pressure of, did I follow through with the things that I said that I would do between now and our last call? That little bit, man, has been such a game changer for me in my career. You got to say it out loud. You got to say it out loud. Look, everybody's got a friend. You have a friend. Just like call your friend and ask them and just say, hey, every two weeks, can we take, you don't even have to be in the same industry. Like, let's not overcomplicate this. Accountability crosses industries. It crosses job titles. It crosses all those things. Is there someone you can call and say, hey, look, give me your top three priorities at work for your next two weeks. Let's have a virtual coffee again in two weeks and talk about whether we got them done. That meeting can be 15 minutes long, but it will help and it will change the way you do things and it'll change the way things get done. Absolutely. Time allocation. Topic number three. Want to make sure we got time for this, dude. Unfully intended. So let, let me, I, I was asked, I was actually with, I was with you, was think outside the script. Can't wait to hear what you're doing next year with this. Cause I don't know if it's going to be anywhere near as big, but man, that was such a cool tour. I got asked a handful of questions that we just couldn't cover on the webinar. Cause it just didn't go in that direction. But two of the questions were, how does your normal discovery process differ from a typical discovery process? The question came because I hinted a little bit that I take a little more time in discovery, that I go a little deeper, I'm a little more curious. And then someone said, yeah, I had the same question, but now I want to know how do you balance the time in discovery versus time spent initially you know, filling the top of your funnel? So I have some ideas floating around in my head. We chatted a little bit about these ideas, but I mean, how do you balance that stuff? How do you train people to balance that stuff? Well, first off, this is a really good problem to have if you actually have the problem. I find that most people don't actually have this problem. They just like are really busy doing a lot of different stuff and they're doing a lot of sales calls and like prospecting just gets pushed aside. So I'm a really big proponent of if you are a full cycle sales rep doing your own prospecting. I mean, Anthony Ian Arino talks about it. Jeff Blunt talks about Mike Weinberg. It's like have that hour every day where you're building new Mark Hunter. I mean, everyone we to look up to talks about it. And I'm very much the same thing. So at a minimum, it's like an hour of your day needs to be spent prospecting for new business. Now, if you spend more than that, 
I think it depends on a couple of things, but the way that I always look at prioritizing my time is if we look at that funnel, you want to spend the most amount of time with the stuff that's closest to closing and then work your way up. It's as simple as that, like with the time allocation that you have a set aside for sales. I totally agree. I mean, the what are you prospecting for? You're prospecting for meetings, right? I mean, you're prospecting for clients, but we know that the first stage of that sales cycle or sales process, once we've gotten beyond the initial introductions and the value propositions and whether or not it's worth having a conversation, the next step is discovery. Well, you're there. You mean, tell me you're going to carry the ball to the one yard line and then you're going to turn around and go back to the 50 to try again? Like, no, wait a second, invest the time. Now, you have to make sure that there is enough prospecting being done. So that hour a day rule of thumbs a really good one. Not just because it's often not the most fun, right? I mean, like it's difficult. It's not. It's probably the least fun part of the job for anyone that does it. You know, I don't know anyone that enjoys prospecting. So people don't like it, so they don't want to do it. So you got to make sure you do it. But even if you're just working eight hour days, that leaves seven hours in a day yep. to do everything else. <laughs> so much time. <laughs> I don't think your discovery call, look, if your discovery calls are lasting seven and a half hours in a day, we have a different conversation to have, right? Like, but let's think about what we're trying to accomplish. You go out and you do the prospecting, you find the leads, you engage them, you you do all the hard work to get to the point where at least it's going to pay off. If you don't give it, it's just due. If you don't give it what it deserves to continue and move that down the line, what are you doing? (laughs) If you're not doing that, what are you doing? Again, this is a very simple, nothing new or novel, Jeff, but a very simple, there's two things that I recommend that you could do structurally in your week. I think that really help with this. One is my wife came up with this concept that we do in our relationship called the Sunday retro. And a Sunday retro is we spend 15 minutes and we do a start, stop and continue in our relationship. You can do the same thing with your pipeline. So with your business or whatever it might be, the end of every week or the beginning of the week, do a quick like Hopefully what you're doing is calendaring, not only appointments that you have with other people, but hopefully your calendar reflects appointments with yourself. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you're able to look back and say, hey, 40 hours, how did I spend that time? What do I need to start spending more time on? What do I need to stop spending time on that just doesn't do any favors for me? And what do I need to continue doing? And if you just made that a habit, that would be one keystone habit that if you did that every week, it would just do wonders, man. And if you wanted to get a little bit more detailed, again, this is a super old time management hack. Maybe Stephen Covey uh, shared this. Spend five to 10 minutes at the end of every day, reflecting on the day real quick and just looking at the next day. Yeah. And then at the end of every week, just plan the upcoming week. And then when you're planning, do that start, stop and continue. I guarantee you, you don't have a problem with, I'm doing so much discovery. I don't even know what to do with myself. You know, I need to do prospecting. I guarantee you, you probably don't have that problem unless you resume. In the last six months, you're probably not being so overwhelmed with sales calls that you can't fit everything in. I bet what you're probably doing is spending a little bit more time with people towards the top of the sales funnel that haven't really shown any interest yet, but they took a meeting to your cold email because they're really curious about what you had to say and they're really not that interested. Or you're spending time doing a bunch of other bullshit, (laughs) right? I guarantee you something like that is probably going up. And what happens too is people perceive the threat of the problem and they make it a problem before it really is. Like, please tell me that you've got no time left because there's so many other things, so many deals you're closing, so many new prospects that you're opening that you don't have time to do thorough discovery. When that becomes a problem, let's talk because that's a really good problem to have. But being afraid of that problem when it's not even close to coming to fruition doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
I'm going to ask you a question. What does productivity look like to you in terms of time spent? And I've asked this of a couple of people. I'm reformulating my own definitions, but I think people, and this feeds into the time allocation part, I think people feel like you have to have eight productive hours in a day. Like they'll schedule seven Zoom calls with five minutes in between to just pee or maybe inhale lunch or something at some point. That's overkill in my opinion, but obviously an hour's worth of work in an eight hour day is, or a nine hour day is obviously not going to be enough. But I mean, so how do you judge other than just the eyeball test or looking in the mirror at the end of the day, how do you objectively judge what productivity looks like? I think it's different for someone that runs a business than does sales full-time for sure. Agreed. As a business owner, what I'm thinking about is like maker versus manager time. Who was that? It's not Stephen Covey. That was some of their old dude. This <laughs> that's no longer living. <laughs> so when I look back, I color code my calendar so the meetings look different than stuff I'm working on our business with. So the maker time, the creating stuff, improving our programs, putting a little bit more sort of structure into our marketing, delegating a little bit more. I want to be spending a third to half of my time on stuff like that. The other half can be spent on me selling doing meetings, client delivery, like that sort of stuff. So for me, it's finding a good 50-50 balance. You know, Two-thirds of my time is spent on that manager kind of work where I'm doing the actual stuff and the maker stuff. I want to be spending a third to a half of my time on that. I find that I only really have maybe three or four hours of like productive meeting time that I can allocate in a day. And then on top of that, another two or three hours of like maker time stuff. And then I'm I'm shot, dude. Anything else beyond that, that's honestly, I think a waste of time for me to be doing that. It's not a very productive training call if I'm doing a training call and the content that I'm creating during that time is not going to be very good either. Yep. Fatigue is real. Mental fatigue is real. And I learned this just a couple of months ago. I was spending seven hours a day on Zoom. And people don't forget, it's not like you just hang up and there's nothing else. Forget the fatigue, the eyeball fatigue and sitting still. Like I'm not real good at that. At least I've got a standing desk. I can alternate between standing and sitting. How much work is created in those seven hours worth of Zoom? When are you going to do that? Yeah. And then when are you going to give your brain not just the opportunity to rest? Because I know we're not allowed to talk about rest, right? Because that's just, that's for wimps. Just when do you give yourself the time to think? When do you give yourself the time to refresh? When do you give yourself the time to let those ideas germinate into something that could be a game changer for your business or your client's business? I'm trying to be better about giving myself that white space, like productive white space. And just because you have an hour in your calendar doesn't mean you can cram a 45 minute meeting into it. So that's where that question came from. I'm just curious. Well, I think another thing just along this same theme is as a salesperson, schedule breaks for yourself. God damn. You know, it's, it's like, I see people go eight hours straight. And like you said, they barely have enough time to go to the bathroom and, and eat. And it's like, how can we approach our day in a series of sprints instead of like a, you know, I don't know if you ever run an 800 before. Mm-hmm. 800 is like the hardest one because you can't quite sprint fully the entire time. And I feel like we manage our days like a freaking 800 meter dash when it could be a series of 200 meter dashes. Yep. So that's kind of how I look at it, man. But okay, let's quick recap. So first topic we talked about, this isn't new. What was your big takeaway? What was the big takeaway from that? I think the people who are complaining about that or just have things to say about that are probably misguided in what they're looking for. And I've long since 
try to come up with anything really, really new. If anything, I find different ways to explain things, but I'm not trying to take any credit for any original concepts. I mean, for crying out loud, I wrote a book around stopping and thinking about what you do before you do it, right? Like I'm the wrong person to be asking for something brand new. What about you? Well, that's the novelty. I think this can be created from approaching it from a fresh perspective, not it's an entirely new thing. That's my takeaway is like the freshness can come from how you approach it and making it your own. I totally agree. Accountability versus micromanagement. My takeaway from that was you had a really interesting perspective around accountability. And it's something that like both people need to want to participate in, but it also comes from a place of, from a management standpoint, a place of actually caring, like really caring about the other person and looking for and giving them the benefit of the doubt. What about you, man? What was your takeaway? You're kind of flip, you're opposite of what I was saying, where I thought that the manager needed to be involved. You said when when you feel like you're being micromanaged, you're feeling like you're told to do something that you don't want to do. Whereas when you're being held accountable, it's like, oh, someone sees that this is something I need to be involved in. And now we can work together. Really just kind of the, the flip side of the same coin, I think. Yep. It's like an us versus me against you, you know, kind of thing. We're, yeah. we're in this together. And I don't know how many reps actually feel like they're in it together with the company that they work for. I I really don't. It feels very confrontational. And that's a shame. Time allocation. What was your big takeaway, man? I'm going to steal it from you. I love it. Spend more time with the stuff closest to the bottom of the funnel. That is a new thing to me. Like, of course it makes sense, but that is a new way of explaining that to me. So I, I like what you did there and give yourself the permission to spend the time where it's going to be most valuable. And look, that, that discovery, you're going to learn way more on a discovery call than you were on 10 prospecting calls. Yeah, that is a big thing for me too, listening to you. It's, it's, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, you know, the football analogy. It's like, dude, you spent all of this work to get to the person right there. Like, take your time. You don't have to do all the discovery in a 30-minute call. Right. You could do a couple calls. You, you can do a demo twice with more people if you need to. You know, there's no rush. Uh, what is your hurry? That's the thing too. We're so obsessed with speed and shortening sales cycles and how many deals can we move through so we can scale. And it's like, wait a second, when you look at the time investment, when you look at the monetary investment, sometimes you mean to tell me you can't book an extra 30 minutes next week to pick up the conversation where you left right now? You mean to tell me that you haven't done a good enough job engaging them that they won't take your meeting again? Like those are other problems that we can address. But if you're in the middle of some great discovery and you feel like you're running out of time, ask for more time. You already did it once. You can do it again. And the more discovery you do, the better the loyalty is, the better the engagement is, and the higher the profit margins are in those deals. Don't piss it away. Hey, that was a lot of fun. So one of the big topics that we talked about that I thought was interesting that he brought up was this concept of accountability versus micromanagement. And the word is almost more of a feeling, I think, than it is like what you're actually doing, although both are important. But I guess as a manager with your reps, do you want them to feel like they're being held accountable or do you want them to feel like they're being micromanaged? Because there's a really big difference between those two words. So I really enjoyed his take on that. And I appreciate you tuning in today. Uh, What I would love from you, I have a huge favor to ask is we're looking to get some more reviews on the podcast and it really helps to have those reviews so we can continue growing the show and also getting on great guests like Jeff. You could do that at blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes, or if you got the iTunes player open, search for our podcast, Blissful Prospecting, scroll to the bottom, leave a quick review, would really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon.